Thank you, Sean. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be reading Luke 1, verse 34 to 56. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive in a six-month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary visits Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful for the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abram and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you, Jen. Good morning, everybody. I so love that reading and that story of these, uh, these two family members. We, we're trying to work out, um, it's unclear whether they were cousins or mm. whether they were uh, auntie, auntie and niece. And niece. But um, mm. what a lovely prayer uh, that Shane prayed. prayed. Yeah, so helpful. Lovely. Thanks, Shane. To look back on this year and just the amount of, um, I suppose, content that we've covered, but also the content that we've covered is a reminder of um, what God has been up to in our family and our church. Yeah, so we're Nikki and Roger, uh, husband and wife, wife and husband, respectively, and um, have the amazing privilege of being able to speak this morning and um, to, to look at what it means to be a grateful people. Uh, we've sort of called this a Thanksgiving Sunday. This is so close to you. This is allowed because she's my wife. <laughs> Can I get a kiss while I'm there? No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. It feels Jeez, wrong. Not come on. Unbelievable. We'll talk about this later. Can One get a less kiss thing at the to end be if you do your for. right points. Okay. Yeah. okay. We, we divide our sections. We say who's going to say what, but he's so used to being, more used to being up here than me that we'll go through it. And I've like remembered some great story that illustrates a point. We go through it and then he starts telling the story and I'm like, well, that's my point and that's my story. So if you see me standing here totally blank, it means that he just said what I planned to say. Okay. Blue as you, black as me. <laughs> okay. There you go. You can see here. 
So we're going to be giving some thanks today. And um, actually, at the end of this meeting, we're going to be uh, having a gap where we're going to listen to a few people who are going to come onto the stage and, and give some thanks to God. But we're actually wanting to also have a short gap where maybe you have looked back on this year and something starts to bubble to the surface. And we're going to be standing on that sort of uh, mezzanine level over there. And uh, sort of midway through the, the last song that we sing, we're going to give a gap. If you want to line up and just share for 20 seconds one thing you're thankful to God for, it's going to be a, a gap for us to do that. It's going to be tight, but we are going to walk out of this space having taught ourselves the amazing practice, the amazing gift of gratitude. Mm. And so our prayer for this morning is that we learn the skill of gratitude. And something we realized is that there's kind of two types of gratitude as you look. There's gratitude with a grudge, which is the cultural thing, because I'm going to remind you here that uh, even scientifically, gratitude is, uh, is important for our biology, for our physiology. If you're a grateful person, there are benefits to it. But there's a different kind of gratitude that we're shooting for this morning. It's called gratitude that grows the soul. Mm. That's the kind of gratitude we want to grow in as a community. We want you to grow in. It's a, it's a gratitude that has no hooks. It's a gratitude that isn't kind of superstitious, that's saying, I'll be grateful so that I get the offshoot benefits of it. It's a gratitude that gets the benefits, but from a much deeper place. Berkeley University did a study on, on gratitude, and interestingly, most studies are done to people who are generally healthy and have mental health, but they did a study with people who weren't uh, fully mentally healthy and were struggling through mental health issues, and it's, it, it, this is what they found. Those who wrote gratitude letters, they got everyone to write gratitude letters every week. Those who wrote gratitude letters um, reported significantly better mental health for four weeks and 12 weeks after their writing exercise ended. This suggests that gratitude writing can be beneficial not just for the healthy, well-adjusted individuals, but for those who struggle with mental health concerns. In fact, it seems practicing gratitude on top of receiving psychological counseling carries greater benefits than counseling alone. They went on to say that there are a whole bunch of other potential offshoot benefits of just being grateful. They said gratitude can unshackle us from toxic emotions, mm. which many of us struggle with. Gratitude helps even if you don't share it. So if you just have a gratitude inside of you, it can be really helpful. Uh, gratitude's benefits take time. And then they also said that gratitude has lasting effects on the brain. That's fascinating. And... Uh Another study that we read that we thought was, or that we heard of, that we thought was really interesting was um, a study that was done over Thanksgiving time in America, and um, they looked at areas, American states, where political parties had made extra effort on using social media to ingrain their partisan views in those states, and they found that two things happened over those Thanksgiving dinners in the states that that had happened. The first thing was that Thanksgiving dinners in those areas ended sooner. Thanksgiving, time of Thanksgiving with your family was shortened in those areas. And secondly, people of opposing views interacted less in those states. So seeing this, this kind of uh, our ability to express gratitude lessening somewhat because of the society that so, we live in. So you're saying, just to clarify, you're saying that wherever they made, they polarized people, went left, right, Yes. You, and they made people feel more left or more right, more Democrat, more Republican, those Thanksgiving dinners ended quicker because they were 
cagey yes. towards each other. And people just less and less people who believe different things politically actually engaged at all, wow. which is quite a crazy. We lived in a polarized world, which is uh, toxic to our ability to express gratitude. But uh, w- one of the dangers of knowing, and I think we all can kind of attest to the fact that we all agree that gratitude is so healthy for our mental health, for our physical health even, um, even spiritually we know that gratitude is such an important thing. But one of the dangers is that because we know it's so important, we begrudgingly practice gratitude because we know that it's so important. And um, what can happen then is that we're not expressing real gratitude but rather what uh, Raj has called gratitude with a grudge um, and not the kind of gratitude that grows the soul. So gratitude with a grudge, you might be asking, what is that? It's the kind of gratitude where you say, you, you know you should be thankful and you say the right things. So it's when I see you at the beach and we talk about how grateful we are for the mountain, like how lucky we are to have that mountain, hey? There it is. We have it on the stage, even. We love the mountain so much. And we're so grateful the wind is not blowing today. We, I'm so grateful for my children. And, you know, just all those things that we know we should say. But a little bit, one level deeper than that, there's this gnawing feeling that bigger, more important, more consequential things in our lives we wish were different. Gratitude with a grudge is often quite um, surface um, level gratitude, uh, where something deeper, sometimes we're wishing that things were better or different. Gratitude says um, thanks, but without even saying, knowing that we're saying it, we're telling God that we wish things were different and that he's possibly made a mistake. It's kind of like, um, sorry to interrupt, no, like that's okay. we treat gratitude with a grudge in a superstitious way. Yeah. If I'm grateful, then I will get the offshoot benefits. Yes. And uh, we don't treat gratitude as a deep well of, of life. And that's why it's not sustainable as well, because we know we should do it. So we're trying to list the things. Here's all, you know, we know we should list the 10 things we're grateful for. And possibly that's what a few of us have done. We, we know how important gratitude is. So we even went out and bought a gratitude journal or bought something. And we, every day we wrote down 10 things that we were grateful for. And guess what? nothing happened. Nothing changed. And he said, I was grateful. I was grateful for all these things, but actually, did it change something? And it's actually because we were grateful for these things on the surface. We're in that, we didn't address that gnawing feeling of um, wishing that actually more deeper, more consequential things are different. And that kind of gratitude, that surface level gratitude with a grudge, it doesn't have the power to, to change us and to grow our souls. So I think what's important here is that it's not either or. It's not like you're either in this camp or you're in that camp, you know, because I think all of us tend to be a little bit gratitude with a grudgy Mm -hmm. sometimes, and that's a great place to start. It's just not a great place to end. We want to move into a growing sense of gratitude without hooks, growing uh, gratitude without a sense of now that that I'm grateful, what should I get from this? But Mm -hmm. gratitude that overflows um, just like the story we've read. Uh, We see Mary and Elizabeth I I can't think of two better examples in the scriptures of two people who are so immensely grateful. They they really do show this type of gratitude that seems to be growing their souls. You see these two people, and and it's probably good for us to do a little introduction as to who are Mary and Elizabeth. If you're new to the Bible story, then you might be going, what exactly is going on here? Here you've got, first of all, you've got Elizabeth. She uh, seems to be Mary's Uh, auntie or cousin, but she is significantly older, that much we do know, and she has been struggling to have a child all her life. Now, uh, in our culture, it is a difficult thing to not have a child, but most of the challenge in, in our culture is that, well, we want a child. In that culture, if you couldn't have a child, 
you were shamed. You were less valuable. You, you were a person who actually just wasn't favored by God. And so there was real cultural shame that came upon a person who couldn't have a child. So not only would Elizabeth have felt what every, uh, many people feel is we want a child, she also would have felt the cultural challenges and the cultural shame of simply not feeling like she fits in. Decade after decade, probably well into her 50s, and she still hasn't had a child. She's been through so much, and eventually she, she does have a child. Now, contrast, contrast that with Mary, who is young, who is probably a teenager. It's hard to know biblical ages, but she is really young. She's not married, and, uh, and now she has a, a child that's birthed into her womb. Now, this is also equally uh, amazing because uh, Elizabeth shouldn't be of childbearing age, and, and really, Mary can't bear a child because she hasn't got a husband yet. And so both of them are actually in really complicated situations. And because of our cultural realities, we tend to put tinsel over mm. the Mary story and we go, that is so sweet, this blue-eyed, beautiful girl who gets a beautiful child. And we go, wow. But not really. She's in Roman oppressed world. She is a peasant girl who is now also the shame of her society because she shouldn't have a child. She shouldn't have, uh, be pregnant if she's not married. This is awful for mm. her. And yet, I think what's so amazing about this story is that they are so grateful. Yeah. They manage to build a level of gratitude in a situation that we all go, of course it's awesome. It's a fairy tale. Not if you scratch under the surface. They're mm. under a whole bunch of cultural pressure. And so it's into that world that we teach a whole bunch of gratitude. And both of them have multiple reasons to um, express gratitude with a grudge. And if we think of Mary, um, as Roger said, this teenage girl who, you know, she's actually on the brink of, she's engaged on the brink of getting married, looking forward to probably what would be a wonderful, beautiful, simple life. Possibly she was hoping to have a pigeon pair, boy and a girl, marry Joseph, live in Sunningdale, have a manicured garden, and just have this like very simple life. Here she is. She is in the center of actually what is a cosmic drama unfolding. And maybe she could have said, well, God, actually, I didn't sign up for drama. I didn't want to be the leading role in the story that you're writing. Um, and actually, this is really not what I had in mind for my life. But we don't see any of that. And think of Elizabeth. She could have said, you know, great, God, thanks so much. Um, you know, I've really waited for this baby. You know, who knows? She could have waited up to 40 years, some people think. So thanks, yeah, grateful for the baby, pregnancy, all great. But if you had just done this a few decades earlier, when my body just had a little bit more energy to actually carry a baby, and when my husband and I had a little bit more energy and a little bit more motivation to uh, get through sleepless nights, toddlerhood, let alone the rest, those tween years, teenagers, that she's looking forward to this, and she has actually a lot of areas that she could complain about and express gratitude with a grudge, yet we don't see that. Or how about this? There is no comparison between these two women. Imagine if she had said, she could have said in her heart begrudgingly, you know, thanks a lot, God. But Mary gets the Messiah. Did you ever think of that? The teenager gets Jesus. And she doesn't yet know, she's got John the Baptist in her womb. She doesn't know what's going to come from this baby. She just knows she's pregnant. He is an amazing child and an incredible promise and, and purpose on his life. 
But the teenager gets the Messiah, and she says, ah, she could have thought to herself, I have waited for decades, and I've been faithful to you, and I've worshipped you, and I'm yeah, grateful, great, I got a baby. But the teenager gets the Messiah, yet we have little trace of gratitude with a grudge in either of these women. They are true examples of real gratitude that deepens the soul, and that grows the soul and deepens their joy and their contentment and their ability to celebrate with one another. So let's look at it for a moment. What clues can we find at how they have this gratitude that grows them? And the first thing that we notice is that they delight in God's ways over their own desires. One of the most famous sentences that Mary says in this passage that Jen read is um, in verse 38, where the angel comes to her and she, he says, you are going to give birth to heaven and earth's true king. And she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. What remarkable trust, amazing trust. If God has said it, it must be best. And uh, kind of the picture that we were thinking of when we were reading this um, portion of Scripture is that their delight in God's ways is almost like electric doors that just open, open up for them to step into that gratitude that grows the soul and kind of the space of wonder that they're able to be in. They didn't wish, both Mary and Elizabeth, they don't wish that it was different or better. They thanked God for how he was powerfully at work in their lives and in the world, and their first instinct is to look at God rather than to look at the gaps. And there were gaps in both of their stories, but they didn't focus on the gaps. They looked at God and they worship him in a very true expression of worship, not just like a song that we've had this morning, but like a real a heart attitude of worship. It's now blue. You may go. I'm there we go. <laughs> so they delight in God's ways, which is just expanding their souls. There's a sense of contentment. And you think of how much the New Testament talks about contentment. Mm-hmm. We long for contentment, but we don't always know the route through it, through to it. And, and really what we're learning here is the road to contentment through gratitude. Mm-hmm. The other key that you pick up here is that they reject comparison. They reject comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of uh, was wondering if this is appropriate or not, but, but none of them sort of look at each other and their first impressions are like, oh, you're carrying better than me, girl, or anything like that. There's not this sense That's of... That's how all pregnant women she, speak. I, 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 wish like, my weight, I wish the weight had gone where it went for you in this thing. They, there, there isn't that at all. There's none of the sense of you got and I didn't. There is this amazing sense of mutual celebration. Mm. What you got is God's gift to you, and what I got is mm. God's gift to me. And I am not going to compare what God's doing. I am only going to do everything I can to celebrate what God is doing with you. I I think of how it says in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Wow. Her great auntie is just delighted and going, oh my gosh, why would I get to be with you? And how can we get to celebrate this amazing journey? She just has such an overflowing sense of gratitude towards God. And I just love it. And guys, we're not off the hook here, by the way. That analogy sort of makes us think, oh, you know. But comparison is one of the male's biggest challenges. I think it's human, actually. We Mm. all have a way of comparing across to one another. When we started our life group this year, I sort of, when the guys were gathering together, I said, what are the big 
challenges that we're facing this year. And we rattled off about five or six, and then we, we buttoned it down to two or three. Number one, comparison. Wow. We spend a lot of our lives as men. It's not always conscious, by the way. We don't always go, oh my gosh, that guy, you know, he looks like he earns more than me, and I wish I got as much as him. Sometimes it is that obvious. But so often, it's the subconscious background narrative that just looks and just keeps on weighing oneself up against what other people have done, achieved, are able to do, are capable of, whatever it may be. There is a subtle comparison that basically leaves the soul shrinking, mm. less and less life, less and less energy. And uh, Elizabeth and Mary model something so radical in that they basically delight in each other's God story. They mm. find themselves able to say, what God is doing with you, fantastic. What God is doing with me, fantastic. And I will not spend most of my energy comparing our stories mm. as much as I will do my best to blow wind in the sails of your God story. Mm. That's awesome. Um, we, we also notice when we're reading this, um, this portion of Scripture, and it's maybe because of our bias towards how much we love a community and meaningful relationships, but we, we noticed how these two women, they grow in gratitude in community, and they express their gratitude to God with each other. Notice how Mary, she comes into Elizabeth's home, and Elizabeth is hosting her in her home, and um, it's with each other that they express this incredible gratitude to God for what he's doing in their lives. And even more so than that, there is this older woman, Elizabeth, who welcomes Mary into her home. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she prophesies what is going on in Mary's life. She speaks over this younger girl, basically, what she sees happening in her life and what God is doing. And only then does Mary do her they call it the Magnificat, that, that poem, that song of Mary's, my soul will exult in the Lord for he has remembered me and all those things, blessed from generation to generation. It's after Elizabeth has said, who am I? Why would I be so blessed that the mother of the Messiah would come, of my Lord, she's the mother of my Lord would come into my home. So she speaks with her mouth what she sees God doing in Mary's life and that stirs up such intense gratitude in Mary that Mary erupts with the song. And for us as community and as, as people in Christian community following Jesus, we need to be stirring up gratitude in, in, in one another. And gratitude is birthed in an ecosystem of family and of meaningful relationships where we can bear witness to one another and say, this is what I see God doing in your life, and, and speak it out over each other and to, to stir up that gratitude in one another. We need to um, have witnesses to our lives so that we can actually see what's happening. Sometimes we need to be told hey, what's happening in our lives? We can't always see God at work in our lives just by ourselves. Do I ever do that for you? What? Speak Help it over you me. See, yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm in trouble after this one. <laughs> no, you don't. No, no kisses really for do. me. Do I? You really do. Yes, often. And you do it for me amazingly. Oh, thanks. thanks. Yeah. Um, and that's the gift of, of community is you help each other see what, you, you know, you spot the glass half empty and you go, anyway, we'll talk about that. And um, what we want to do now is go, well, how? Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this, but, but how do you actually pull it off? And we just want to briefly look at these three things and go, how do we delight in God's ways rather than dwelling on disappointments? And I think there's so many clues. I would encourage you to go back to this text and, and read through it. But, but I think what's important here is that we would reflect on our year past, we'd reflect on our disappointments, and we'd trust God in them. 
Mm. It's such a, it sounds so simple. But if we just put the disappointments into some shadow, it will grow mold and it will get messy. Mm. But if we see the areas of our lives which are and have produced disappointment and we put them before God, we start to see that maybe in our deepest and darkest disappointments, he might have actually been birthing something beautiful. Mm. There might have actually been life that was coming out of that. I think of a story. We have uh, a little garden. We've, uh, we watch our trees growing, literally, and uh, it's a very tiring experience. But we've watched these trees grow from uh, six years ago that we planted them. And uh, one of the things we did in one of our trees was we hung these things called air plants. If you know anything about air plants, you know that they are fascinating plants. They don't go into the soil to draw their nutrients. They seem to take uh, moisture out the air and obviously use photosynthesis, but for whatever reason, they stay alive and they do pretty well. And during the spring, they produced some of the most magnificent flowers we've seen in our garden, bright purples and pinks, and they just caught your attention from the other side of the garden, and we'd go stare at them, and it was just a beautiful sight. And of course, as any flower does, uh, they have their beautiful moments, but then they also begin to fade. And we would still go back, and I personally would keep going back and looking at these fading <laughs> the air plants. Flowers. Yeah, exactly. And it was a sad experience to watch my <laughs> air plants fading away and the flowers losing their sheen and kind of going, oh, it feels a bit like my life sometimes and <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. And each day that you pitch up back to these plants, they are just the, the, the flowers are a little browner, a little more droopy, and a lot sadder. Anyway, a few days ago, probably two weeks I'm looking at these air plants, and they are officially finished. Their spring is over. They're going to wait another year till they bloom into beauty. But as I'm looking at them and kind of lamenting the pain of these poor things, I look a little deeper, and I see some movement out of the corner of my eye. And right behind, I mean 30 centimeters behind these air plants, is a little nest with two little doves. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They were so well camouflaged in this tree that I had to look twice to see if I was actually dreaming or not. And in this little nest are these two little doves, no bigger than this, that are fluffy, unable to fly, but beautiful. And I call the kids, talk about community, I call the kids and I say, guys, look. And they go, oh, dead air plants. Thanks, Dad. I say, look again. <laughs> right behind them is this life. I love that picture because how much of our lives do we spend looking at the dying, frustrating, disappointing things and right there in the same frame, God's doing something mm. that's bringing life. God's mm. doing something beautiful. And so often we're taught to see the glass half empty. Mm. And Mary and Elizabeth kind of coach us and say, be careful. You might see all the challenges. You might see that you're young. You might see that you've been shamed. You might see that, uh, that you, you haven't got what you'd hoped by this time. But God might be birthing something right in the same frame. Mm. And would you have eyes to see it? Would you be able to see it? Would you coach yourself? Would you grow the skill and the discernment to be able to see what God might be doing? It's a prayer I'm trying to mm, pray that we become better at seeing the whole picture, and mm. that God might be birthing something beautiful in that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the next point of, of how can we is, is how can we reject comparison? And comparison, I think, is so um, ingrained in us. And how do we 
yeah, get rid of it and how do we combat it? And uh, one of the things is um, to watch ourselves and to be aware of the, the thoughts that we're thinking. And we, most of us have a pattern of thinking. When something happens and we get into kind of a, a comparative, uh, maybe cycle, a way of thinking that ends maybe in anxiety or just like a, a low patch, and try and catch yourself. Try and even write down what are those things that trigger me to think in a very comparative way. Some of us, we're living life in such a fast-paced world that we, A, don't even know that we're comparing ourselves most of the time, and B, we don't always stop to actually think what began this cycle that happened in my mind, and even slow down enough to realize that there is this cycle going around in our heads of, of comparison, but we need to reject it. And one of the things that is really like just weighing so heavily on our hearts and that we can't not speak about is this, this thing of social media and how, you know, many of us, I think, if we decide, if we kind of trace back that comparative cycle of where did it start, it, it may have been someone's photo, someone's Instagram post, someone's story, someone's business maybe that they posted to say they got 3,000 likes and you're like, well, I'm just struggling to get my business to get this many things, whatever it could be. It's a myriad of stuff. It might even be an advert that's just so targeted to you because they know us and they know how to target us. But it, be, it, it begins to create in us a sense that some of our lives is lived, we, none of us have a phone here to show, but live on, in, in this space, on a screen. And what that does is not only harbor um, kind of uh, discontent in us, which makes us unable to be grateful, it also disconnects us from the here and now. And what happens when we're living more in that space than we are in this space is that we live in a hyper-reality. That's not normal. We're getting the dopamine hits and the adrenaline of what happens from a screen and what happens when we get sent a message or someone tagged us in something or liked a post or the smallest thing or an advert that we even resonated with. It's not only even communication. And, um, and I'm not only speaking to the young people in the room because I think it's all of us to, to some extent. Um, and... We live then in this, this, this the kind of tension of hyper-reality. That's not normal. But then what happens is the here and now becomes a little bit stale. And it becomes a little bit bland. And we're not getting a dopamine hit from seeing another person face-to-face -face and having a normal conversation and saying thank you to the person who's in front of us and saying and enjoy your coffee to the person that you gave it to if you're in the cafe over there. But just to... to disconnect a little bit. Let's monitor that stuff. Looking into 2022, if we can um, kind of just keep the reins on social media for our own hearts, I think that our comparison can be largely rejected. And another way of rejecting comparison is to really speak the gospel to ourselves. As soon as we start getting into that comparison cycle where we feel like we are being offered something or, or we begin to want something, that actually we have already been freely given it in Jesus through his death and resurrection on the cross and through his Holy Spirit given to us freely. And we need to be reminding ourselves, as those of us who are Christ followers, we're reminding ourselves of what is already true and what we already have. But pace is a huge one because we do need to slow down enough for those uh, mental processes to actually happen. And that takes time. Yeah, and it reminds me of that great book we, we pushed a while back, uh, John Mark Homer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the last uh, few chapters, he talks about uh, the, the dangers of social media and the insidious effects they can have on us. And we all go, no, not me, it's you, Rog, it's, it's them, it's them, not me, surely. 
but all of us uh, are um, uh, can be impacted by mm. this. And so I think it's good to to check that out. The Social Dilemma, another great mm. movie that can just help widen our eyes to the uh, sort of societal impacts of. Did I say movie? Movie, yeah. Thanks. Okay, it's not a movie, it's a documentary. <laughs> um, so how do we grow in gratitude together? That's the other question there. And I, I think the answer there is, well, we do what we're doing here. We do community. We, we get together. We become a people who remind each other of God's story. Mm. I love the story of Barnabas. I love the story of how he comes in and everyone's going, no, Paul's not an apostle. We don't trust him. He used to be killing the Christians. And Barnabas comes in and he says, I've seen something different. I love how Mary and Joseph, Mary and, and, and Elizabeth spur each other on and say, look what is happening. This is amazing. And they tell the God story to each other. Mm. And whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendship, whether it's in families, we need to be the kind of people who are telling the God story, who are spotting right behind the dying flowers those little signs of life, mm. who are seeing what God is up to. And sometimes we can't see it in our own lives. And this is really important to understand. The point of God giving us community is he's trying to say, you can't see everything. Our culture says, you are your own person, and you can become your own person. You can do it alone. Just believe it. And Jesus says, don't believe that for a second. Mm. You can't do it alone. And you need others to help you to see what you can't see, to see your blind spots, but to see your God story, because there are others who are going to be able to spot it, and they're going to be able to call it out of you. And we need to be finding ourselves in those environments like life groups and like Sundays and friendships that are developing to the point that people know our lives and they go, I see right behind that dying flower a God story. Mm. Life is coming in and through you. Mm. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hear some stories, hear some moments of gratitude, just short little snippets of people who are grateful to God. And we are going to enjoy just soaking in a season of gratitude and moving from potentially or less a person who has gratitude with a grudge to increasingly becoming a person who has gratitude that grows the soul. Mm. And so uh, you guys know who you are, who we've uh, kind of asked and, and prepped. If you could come up on the stage, and the band are going to come join us. And um, whilst they're doing that, I'm going to brief you, because you might have your own sense of wanting to just say thank you uh, to God. Um, then what we're going to do is we're going to hear these stories. Then the band are going to lead us in a bit of a song. Then I'm going to be just on that little platform right there. And if you would like to just say a quick thank you, come a bit closer, guys. Um, if you'd like to say a quick thank you to God for something he's done, we're asking you to please discipline yourself. We can't have the context and the background story. We just need to have the sentence, I'm grateful to God for, and you finish that with a sentence or two. And we just want to hear something of the God story that he's been doing in our lives. So should we start with Claire? I'm not left-handed, but I thought I'd go this way, and then we'll get to you guys next. Sure. Yeah, so in Psalm 23, when it says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, another version says pursue me. And I think um, I'm so grateful this year that God has pursued me so relentlessly. Um, he just has not given up on me, and he, he loved me too much to leave me as I am. And um, yeah, there's... The psalm that talks about how I just feel like he's taken me out of a pit and he has set my feet upon a rock and he has put a new song in my mouth and I'm so grateful. And I think the song says it so beautifully, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99 
and I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. Still, he gives himself away. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God is what I'm grateful for. Yeah, I think I was reflecting on 2021 um, and uh, trying to figure out what um, what I could thank God for. Um, and what it's done in my life, I think, this year has been a growing friendship. Um, I think not just uh, any friendship, really like deeper friendship, newer friendship, um, that me and my family, we've really... Um, uh, what we gain from it or more what we exchange with is like learning to... Um, understand and grow with God a lot more um, and it's been uh, very impactful and he's been able to share his love with us um, and uh, we hope um, we pray that it's going to continue next year yeah um, also just reflecting on last year I'm just really grateful for God um, for relationships um, and how he's used um, friendships family um, especially our marriage <laughs> in those times that it sometimes felt a bit like a roller coaster or at times where we didn't feel as connected. God has really used it to just show us that His grace is sufficient, that He really loves us, um, and especially that He's always involved in every single detail of our lives, um, even if we are not as involved with Him as, as we should. Good morning, everyone. So I think for our family, we're particularly grateful for God's uh, undeserved kindness, his provision for us, um, and his grace. Uh, He's really satisfied us this, you know, the past couple of years, um, and he's overwhelmed us just with with everything that he's given us and gifts. And we're so grateful for our family, our friends, and also for our amazing life group uh, that have prayed for us and with us and stood alongside us, and just for those growing friendships that have really helped us this past couple of years as well. So I wrote a poem on what I'm thankful for. What I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for all he's done. I am thankful that you could come. I am thankful for what is true. I am thankful for all of you. I am thankful that I am breathing. I am so glad that none of you are leaving. I am thankful for my whole family, yes, even my uncle who teases me. I am thankful for my house. I am thankful for even a little mouse. I am thankful for tea, and I'm thankful for coffee. I'm thankful to be me, and I'm thankful for my personality. I'm thankful for everything, and now to say amen, and that is my ending. When I think back on the year, one of the things that I'm most grateful to God for is friends, and... um, it's been, a, it's been a year of uh, slowing down for us, but especially for me, of just uh, kind of realizing, hold on, uh, got too many, accumulated too many responsibilities across life over the last 10, 15 years. And uh, I think it's, it's a friends and the friends that God has put in our life and in this church um, that have just given the space um, and picked up some of that slack. And uh, so I'm really grateful to God for, for friends. I'm also very grateful for coffee, by the way. I think a lot of us are. Um, I think uh, 2021 for me was just being very grateful for God's timing. Um, 
it's, you know, it felt like, oh, I hate when it's a microphone. <laughs> felt like we were in a bit of a holding pattern, kind of when you're flying above a storm. And um, just like everything started happening this year. And being in the tourism industry, it's like not the year you would expect all these amazing things to happen. Um, but despite everything um, financially and at work and a promotion, not that, yeah, it's just uh, so much has happened this year, um, which I think I would have never expected, um, especially in the thick of the third wave in January. Um, and then, of course, the biggest waiting game was with Samuel. Um, so having him come home was amazing. And um, I think also not having to travel eight weeks out of the year now because of COVID, um, I guess, is the silver lining. Can we stand together? And let's just thank God together. And if you've got something, we'll be up there. And just come line up and we're just going to have some tight moments. But Jesus, the scriptures teach us that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We don't generate good things. You bring them to us, even sometimes disguised in difficult circumstances. And I pray that even as we sing now, that you would help us to move from decreasing levels of begrudging gratitude to increasing levels of gratitude that reflects the Marys, the Elizabeths, those who see you for what you're doing, see the wonderful work that you are doing in our lives, God, and that we become a people increasingly content, not because of what we've got, but because of what you've done. We love you, Jesus. Receive our gratitude even as we sing. Thanks, everybody.